0: Hello, and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 7 For Whom the Bell Tolls. Way back when I was a young lad, a teenager, no less. I'd spend time at my mate's place and often ended up staying over. It was the 1980s. We were hugely into Dungeons and Dragons, and we would play until all hours of the morning. He had what we simply called world radio. One of those almost magical devices at that time that could pick up radio channels all over the world. This was long before mobile phones or the internet, so bear with me. I remember we tuned into the BBC because it was about as far from us in the world as anywhere else and we were eating late-night pizza and heard the chimes of the hour. Big Ben was giving London the time. It was almost eerie hearing a clock on the far side of the world chime the hour. For us back then, the other side of the world was very much the other side of the world. Today, it's all so much smaller. But the clock tower at the Palace of Westminster is one of the defining images of London. Any movie or TV show that wants you to know they're in London gives you that panoramic shot of the great city and that iconic clock tower. So, what is the story behind this well-known clock? Well, I'm glad you asked. Officially known as the Palace of Westminster, it was the home of the House of Commons and the House of Lords, which are the two Houses of Parliament in the United Kingdom, and this led to the more common title for the building as Houses of Parliament. I'll cover the full history of the building another time, but on the 16th of October in 1834, A stove overheated and set fire to the building. The damage was extensive and although thought was given to moving to another location, it was ultimately decided to continue housing parliament in the palace. Subsequently, Augustus Welby Northmore Pugin was chosen to design what was known as the Clock Tower. Pugin was an English architect known mainly for his pioneering role in what became known as the Gothic Revival of Architecture. And if that name seems vaguely familiar on here, well done you, because I mentioned him briefly in the podcast on St Bethlehem's Hospital or Bedlam. He was one of the patients there. If you haven't listened, firstly, why not? (laughs) But sadly, in 1852, he suffered a massive breakdown Leaving him unable to speak coherently or recognise people. Sent to Bedlam, his therapy there meant that he eventually recognised his wife, although sadly he died a few months later. Historians speculate that he was suffering the advanced effects of syphilis, with his death coming at just 40 years of age. That tragedy aside, he was certainly a brilliant architect. In keeping to his passion for Gothic styling, the clock tower was then built. At 315 feet, or 96 metres, it consists of 200 feet of brick and limestone construction and the remaining height being of cast iron. And so it doesn't topple over, it is based on a 50 foot square base of 10 foot thick concrete that is 13 feet below the ground. The four clock faces are 180 feet, or 55 metres, up in the air. The hour hands are 9 feet long, the minute hands are 14 feet long, and the numerals are each 2 foot high. I'm going to do my best here with the Latin, because the words that are under the clock face read, Domini salvum fac reginum, nostrum victorium primum, which means, O Lord, keep safe our Queen Victoria. The 1st. The bell tolls every 15 minutes and can be heard from a distance of 12 kilometres. This was Pugin's last work before he succumbed to his illness, and in handing over the designs to lead architect of the restoration of the palace, Charles Barry, Pugin is quoted as saying, I never worked so hard in my life for Mr. Barry, for tomorrow I render all the designs for finishing his bell tower And it is beautiful. When finally finished, it was called by journalists as St. Stephen's Tower. This name stems from the MPs having originally sat in St. Stephen's Hall. The name became a catchphrase for anything related to the building. But at the time of building, it was officially known as the Clock Tower, and while Pugin had designed the tower's architecture, the clock itself is also renowned for its reliability. Designed by the astronomer Royal George Airy and amateur horologist Edmund Beckett Dennison, they had until the tower's completion in 1859 to test and experiment the mechanisms. Clockmaker Edward Dent worked on the design until his death in 1853, and then his stepson, Frederick Dent continued his work to the successful end. The 13 foot 600 pound pendulum was placed in a windproof box and beats every two seconds with the clockwork mechanism in the room below weighing five tons. So I'm throwing a lot of large figures out there, but everything about this clock tower just seems so big to me and I'm sure to you too. But how's this for amazing? Because Traditionally, on top of the pendulum, they keep a small stack of penny coins. Seems odd to me when I first read that too, but why these tiny little coins? Well, they're used to keep Big Ben accurate. Adding one single penny coin to that mighty pendulum alters its center of mass, and that tiny alteration changes the clock speed by 0.4 seconds of a day. Technology can be amazing even when it's over 150 years old. The clock is also hand-wound three times a week, and that's a process that takes about an hour and a half. So, it's called the clock tower, but why do we call it Big Ben? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. Big Ben is the name given to the actual bell in the tower. There's no known definitive reason for the name, but the legend is that the people of London gave the mighty bell that name. There are a couple of theories relating to it, though. One is that the nickname for what is officially called the Great Bell comes from Sir Benjamin Hall. As of 1855, Sir Benjamin was the first commissioner of public works and oversaw the later stages of the building. Uh, The second theory is that it was named for heavyweight boxing champion Benjamin Caunt. He too was known as Big Ben, and the term came to refer to anything that was heaviest in its class. But even before that mighty bell made its way into the clock tower, there was a slight problem. During testing in 1857, the bell was accidentally cracked. Recast in April of 1858, the 13-ton bell was hauled into place, and after 18 hours, was finally ready to ring. It chimed for the first time in July of 1859. Then in September, they cracked that one too. Oops again! They found out later that when Dennison was doing the final testing, he used a hammer twice the specific weight to ring the bell. Poor Big Ben just couldn't catch a break. So it took three, three years to repair the bell again. In the meantime, the hours were struck by the quarter bells. But in the end, the solution was they repaired the crack by chipping away metal near the rim so it wouldn't crack further. The bell was rotated an eighth of a turn so that the hammer hits in a different spot. This was a different tone than the original, but even today, this is the tone we hear. The crack remains to this day. Something else that I found was interesting about the tower was there is actually a prison in it. 114 steps up is the prison room, where MPs in breach of codes of conduct were imprisoned. This was last used in 1880 when a new elected atheist MP by the name of Charles Bradlaugh refused to swear on a Bible his allegiance to Queen Victoria kept overnight, he was later released and took his seat. As an aside, over his political career, he was to continually fight to be a sitting member without swearing on a Bible, and his work on what became known as the Oaths Act stands to this day, allowing a person to swear loyalty without doing so on a Bible. His funeral in 1891 was attended by 3,000 people including a 21 year old mohandas gandhi yes that gandhi the things you learn charles bradlaugh also has a pub named after him in northampton which stands to this day and as an australian all i can say is nice work charles you got your own pub mate and if you haven't already had enough trivia on this masterpiece wait there's more a job title I know I'd love is Keeper of the Great Clock. Yes, that is a real title and as of 2019 it's held by Steve Jaggs who ensures maintenance and the twice yearly time changes. He's also responsible for all the clocks in the Palace of Westminster so it's not just a one clock gig. From the use of the pennies we know that the clock is a very sensitive instrument. And incredibly, in 1878, heavy snows actually stopped the hands on a clock face. That's some snow. While outside the 19th century, I couldn't help but let you know about the flock of starlings that perched on the minute hand in 1949 and caused the mighty clock to lose four and a half minutes. Oh, the horror! Also, me being a fan of the mighty clock since hearing it all those years ago, the first recorded radio broadcast of the Big Ben Chimes was on New Year of 1924. And still slipping outside the 19th century, in 2012, Parliament renamed the Clock Tower to Elizabeth Tower in tribute to Queen Elizabeth for her Diamond Jubilee. And aside from following us on social media at VicGaslamp, you can also follow at Big underscore Ben underscore Clock which tweets the bongs of the hour. It follows no one. It's a clock. But the account still has 450,000 followers. And I really do think this should be remembered too. In 1940, the silent minute was introduced. Before the 9pm BBC radio news was broadcast each night, members of the public were encouraged to dedicate silent contemplation and prayers to those on the battlefields for the 60 seconds that Big Ben would chime. So there you have it, the mighty Big Ben. I was in London in 2018, and one of the things I had always wanted to see was Big Ben. I did see it, of course, covered in a scaffold as it undergoes repairs and maintenance, and it's not chiming. Well-timed, Heath. Well-timed. No pun intended. So, I guess I'll just have to go back again. So here endeth the episode. My website is victoriangaslamp.com. You can email me at victoriangaslamp at gmail.com with any suggestions you might have for future episodes. Happy to look into whatever might interest you as well. You are the ones listening. On Twitter at Vic Gaslamp and my Instagram account is victoriangaslamp. Post there probably a couple of times a week and I do it as a bit of a, an extra aside to the podcast itself. Speaking of which, the next episode will be out in two weeks. So keep a lookout for that. And I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.